0: The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today. From the pulpit to the pew. Well, this morning, I said I'm kind of rehashing a former sermon you probably will remember this one a little bit and the reason why I'm doing this is not for this week it's not for last week it's really for for next week um, you know I, I can ignore I can ignore quite a bit and every one of us are I've been taught and I've been encouraged to ignore so many people sometimes ignoring people helps, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And then there's times when it sounds like it's like you try to ignore someone and it's it's kind of like there's a door behind you. You've closed the door and they just keep knocking, right? And there's a point in time when you're going to have to answer that door and tell them, listen, either stop knocking, or I'm going to have to remove your hand. <laughs> and so, uh, now that sounds harsh, but the reality is, there, there's a time and a place, and there, you know, in the Proverbs, it talks about how to answer the fool. It says, in one place, it says, answer not a fool according to his folly. Why? Lest you be like him, right? Then it turns around, the very next verse says, Answer full according to his folly, what? Lest he be, what? Wise in his own eyes. Why? Why? There's an aspect of, one thing is, when sometimes people speak foolishness, and it's evident to everyone around them, right? It's, it's, it, it's, it's foolishness. And there's a time when, when someone says something, they reveal the foolishness of it just in what they're saying. But what happens when in someone's foolishness they begin leading others astray? And when, and here's our, our duty. Now, our duty is not to... We don't save anyone, We, but the, the Bible tells us to persuade. We're to be persuasive. And one of the things is when we hear something that sounds truthful... But we know it's not truth. When it looks righteous, but we know it's not righteous. What when we we are to speak to those things. Because it's not, it's not, it's one thing for someone to have that. I'm being led astray. They're they 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 have foolishness. But when they start leading others astray by their foolishness, you must speak. Listen, I'm not trying to, we're not talking about just cutting their head hand off. We're, we're talking about we need to speak to this is the standard of God's word. You don't always have to get. It's not even something you have to be aggressive about. The reality is, is Jesus handled many of these situations. And this is why I'm doing this. Is really why I'm doing this this morning and next week. When Jesus ha- came to some of these situations, what did he do? He didn't just say, this is how it is. What did he do? He'd ask a question. The reality is, is if you if you consider, continue down that road of inconsistency what happened or that that road of foolishness you're gonna it's gonna be revealed for what it really is and all jesus did by asking certain questions it revealed to that individual or individuals how misguided what they were doing was that's what i and i kind of i was talking to zach and mary when they came in i said you know this is where i'm going next week because i want us to see that there is a road that God has given us. There is a path. There, you know, We know there's a way to salvation, and there is a gate into heaven, or a door, and that's Jesus Christ. We, we can see that. If that's true, if there's a firm path, a firm, a simple, single road, there's always what? There's always going to be a ditch to the left and a ditch to the right, right? Correct? Um, and so what happens is, when God has given us this road and this path, we find people who always swing to the extremes and they fall off in either ditch. And here's the sad thing neither ditch necessarily is a lost ditch, it's just a ditch. And what happens when we're in ditches, we get weighed down, we get stuck. In fact, we're not fruitful because we can't, we're not really going down the path that God has for us. We are just in the ditch, just trying to stay above our necks above sometimes. And what we do is we, what I saw say in those things, in those two ditches, there's abuses in both sides. And so there are so many people who, they struggle with the church that God has called us to be because there has been abuses either by leadership or by non-leadership. Either way. And those who have been abused by leadership in the church, what do they do? They go from this ditch, they don't get onto the path that God has for us. What do they do? They fall over into the other ditch of of anarchy. That means there's no hierarchy. There's no no structure above me. And you can say, and I'm going to go ahead and give you a thing. Have you ever heard, I have no creed but Christ? Have you ever heard that statement? We have no creed but Christ. Do you know that's a creed? The, the thought is, is, I don't have any creeds. I'm against creeds. I have no creed but Christ. Well, listen, that's a creed. A creed means what? I believe. If you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, yeah, that's your creed. It's an I believe statement. Well, there are those who say, I believe in no headship but Christ. That, um, that means they, there is a there is hierarchy. And whatever that hierarchy sets up, if Christ is the head, whatever he has set up for us, whatever God has given us, that's what he that's what he intended. So next week is going to be although this week's going to have a lot of script, we'll have scripture and we're going to look at this. Next week is going to be scripture intensive. And when I say that, we're going to look at every letter Paul wrote every letter Paul wrote. I'm not saying we're going to do the whole reading of the whole books of uh, the whole letters, the whole Bible. But I want you to understand. Paul if Paul said something here, it wasn't it, we need to look at. It. Remember we I don't know if y'all y'all you heard this when I talked about descriptive texts and prescriptive. Descriptions, descriptive text describes the situation. Prescriptive text is what God has prescribed for us to do. Some things describe what was going on in a situation or a certain area. Other things are prescribed things that were given to us. By the Lord, and if all of Scripture is God-breathed and useful for our instruction, our training, encouragement, and righteousness, and all these things, then we need to look at the whole of it. Some is descriptive; some is prescriptive. And we look at Paul's letters here, and so all that intro to talk about next week, you'll understand when we go through this. You'll, re- I believe, you'll remember this because I have some heavy, I have some heavy uh, Greek in here. That we talked about some time, some some things, but. Last week we talked about we went from the first week about the priesthood of believers or the church we talked about the lady the, the clergy lady divide. Is there such a thing? The question should not be, is there is there a difference between a ordained pastor, elder, bishop, is there a divide between him and the laity, the men and women boys and ch- girls of the church they' is there a is there a divide? My answer so far and I haven't been been very clear with it intentionally, my answer is there is no divide but there is a distinction. And what happens is we forget these type of things. There are differences, there are distinctive differences just as there are distinct differences between male and female. There's differences, distinct differences between a cat and a dog. I know that seems silly, but we see distinctions all around us. We, I know it's hard for people today, but there is a difference between Mexican food and Tex-Mex, okay? And there is a difference between American food and Italian We We can see, we make distinctions all the time, don't we? You know, but this is where we struggle. And so last week we talked about this, this as, as part of this, we talked about the priesthood of believers, what our responsibility, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that further today. But last week we talked about authority in the church, and we talked about this, and I'm just going to kind of, it's supposed to be a godly authority, it's not up there, but it's godly authority. We were told that new people, new converts to the faith were barred from being an elder or a bishop. We were told that that person's supposed to be able to teach. It's important. And really, we'll talk about what that means a little further today. Fourth, uh, fourthly, though, someone, when they had to have a good reputation with outsiders. That means with unbelievers. It's interesting that one of the responsibilities of a good elder or pastor is he should have good report amongst the non-believers. That's crazy, isn't it? You think, oh, well, all the, all the insiders should like him. That's not even a requirement. Because sometimes we, as as Christians, are some of the most critical and harsh people. And we have our opinions of things, right? But it it was more important that they have a good reputation outside. We talked about authority in the church was to be biblical authority. Um, And that has to do with our presuppositions. That eldership originates with a family in fact it was responsibility if he can't run his family can't lead his family he should not be leading a church we talked about that we ought to look at this as people ought to be trained to govern right it's not just something oh all of a sudden someone shows up and they're awesome they're trained to govern we ought to be training generations and we talked about um what does it look like at the local church gathering and i read one scripture which is where we're going to hit today Okay, so what is the local gathering of the church? That's where we're at, and I and I kind of skipped over it. And although I put it up here again, I want to read it today. And this was a a couple years back. Um, my brother Budget Marinov, wrote this on a Facebook group, and he and 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 I'm going to share it with you. And I, I think you're going to get glean something from it and I think you'll remember this, possibly I've shared it several a couple times. He says, I was asked why I believe that the local churches keep the people immature. The answer is that under a false doctrine of submission to elders, based on the twisting of a biblical text, there can be in a local church no one who is wiser, more mature, more knowledgeable, or more active and successful than the pastor or the elders. If such a person becomes a member of such a church then he will eventually get to a point where his mature judgment will have to clash with the more immature judgment of the leaders. Under the false doctrine of submission to elders, he will have to submit to a less mature judgment in order to avoid being disciplined. Even worse will be the conflict of power and authority. If a person of no power is capable of advising people better than those in power, his authority in the church will grow beyond the power of the quote-unquote leaders. No church session can tolerate such discrepancy of power and authority and they will either be forced to kick the guy out or force him to act less mature and wise. There is no escape from this outcome. Thus, by default, the level of maturity in a local, quote-unquote, local church will always have to be limited to the level of maturity of its leaders. And these, quote-unquote, leaders, not being goaded by pressure from others, won't spend the effort to become more mature themselves. Especially when the doctrine of a mandatory local church membership provides them with members, the only solution is to get rid of the false doctrine of submission, quote unquote, submission to elders, and replace it with the doctrine of Luke 22:26 through 27. That is, only those who deserve those deserve submission, who have, sub, excuse me, have submitted themselves to everyone else. Church bureaucrats deserve no submission and no honor. Period. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you don't know that the passage, it says the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Mm -hmm. So the great the greatest leader among you will first show his leadership by how he serves. And in this situation, by his service, that does not mean it's forced submission. What happens? People submit to a, a authority based on how one demonstrates his Christ-likeness, his service. It's a powerful statement for us to begin this whole thing. So, what is the the local church gathering? Of the local gathering of the church. I'm gonna read this passage of scripture. I don't I don't really what in fact I'm not I'm not I'm gonna go read the whole thing because we're gonna be breaking it down. Let's move on to first point. How is the local church, local gathering of the church defined? How is it defined? And we'll we'll define it by this passage, this theme passage in 1 Corinthians fourteen, which I, I'm intentionally wanting to go back to this because this is this is what the discussion has been predicated upon um, regarding the supposedly there's no mention of elders in the Corinthian church. So, how is the local gathering of the church defined? Well, in that passage, in our, in our theme passage in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians fourteen twenty six, it says, What then, brothers, when you come together? I'm going to stop there. First off, it says, what then, brothers? Brothers is associating what? The, the brethren. It's, it's plural of, of Christ's church, of men and women, the the family of God, coming together. When you come together, okay, it's important that it's predicated upon this. How do you define the church? When God's people, it's God's people first and foremost, and as we come together. Now, someone might say, well, the church is not a place, it's a people. Absolutely. But when we gather together, the church is gathering together for a purpose, and we'll see the purpose in a second. But Matthew 18, 18 18-20, it's not the Great Commission. That's 28, 18 through 20. 18, 18, it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. When we gather together as his people, for in his name, for, and what that means is, under his headship, under his, for his purpose, when we gather together for his honor, that is the local gathering of the church. I am not confused and I'm not concerned about when we get together. But there is a difference between a time of fellowship and the people of God gathering for a purpose. Why did God convene at any point in time? These are questions that keep coming to mind. Why did people gather Why did they come together? It wasn't just because I think you're cool and I I like being around you. In fact, many cases, we find a different situation. It wasn't about how we like each other or what we think about each other. They gathered together not in the name of what? Christ Covenant Church or First Baptist Sweeney or First Presbyterian this. or They didn't gather in the name of those local congregations. They They gathered together in whose name? christ's name that's defines the church that's how we look at it so that brings us to the second thing what what is the purpose of the local gathering of the church one part is saying how is the local gathering uh defined and then how what is the purpose of the local gathering of the church Well, it goes on in that same passage, verse 26. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. I would go to tell you that the purpose of the local gathering is not about how many songs we sing or what songs we sing. The purpose of the local gathering of the church is not about even Our giftedness. Although God uses our giftedness individually as we gather. The point of the gathering, the purpose of the gathering of the local church is for the building up of one another. Now listen, I'm not saying to build your self-esteem. Please understand what that means. It's not to give people pats on the back and say, That you're an awesome guy, you're an awesome girl. Lady, I love being around you. You're the best friend ever. That's not what we're talking about. What does it mean to build up the body? Well, Romans fourteen, thirteen through nineteen says: Therefore, let us not pass judgment on anyone and uh, on one another any longer, but rather decide not to put never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in and of itself, but it's unclean for the one who thinks it's unclean. For your brother is grieved by what you eat. You are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, you do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, this is why I underline these, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. The purpose of the local gathering is mutual edification, building one another up, strengthening one another. It is for building building up for all, strengthening each other in wisdom and knowledge of our Lord and His word. Ultimately, it is a mutual sharpening of one another. That's what, it's important to say that, because Proverbs 27, uh, 27, 17 says, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Yes, the local gathering of the church is for the mutual upbuilding, one with another. There are things, and I go back to this, there are things that, without a doubt, that in a... Regarding God's word, I understand I'm able to explain maybe better to other people in this in this room. But there are also aspects of life. There are people who have gone through certain tasks or certain struggles or strifes or trials presently or in the past, and they have testimony to how God has taken them through that. And And just because their situation and another one's unique in itself, that does not mean they cannot be there to strengthen and build one another up. And when we struggle and we've struggled with the path, we're able to what? We're able to sharpen one another. The body of Christ coming together in his name, is for the purpose of mutual edification, to sharpen one another. Yes, it is not about just one guy getting up and preaching a message and everyone going, oh, Gary, we can go home, that's the end of it. It's about more than that. What we find is on one side a need to be sharpened. And on the other side, a constant preparation sharpen, slash sharpening to be able to sharpen others. See, what what I what I agree with, with Bo on is the fact is it becomes very easy to settle in if no, if 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 all I do, if all I were to do is keep people and, and instruct people and keep people at a certain place, and I didn't expect that anyone's gonna grow. And I don't I don't challenge anyone to go and, and read the word and, and grow in their faith. If if that's how it is, then it'd be really easy. But as people grow in their walk with Christ, leaders ought to be what? They ought to be growing in their walk with Christ and not subverting God's move in people's lives, but what? They should be encouraging. This doesn't make one person the guru. But it drives them to always be growing, maturing, and strengthening. My life today is very, as a pastor or teacher, preacher, whatever you want to call me, is very different than it was five, ten years ago. I used to spend my entire week in an office reading and writing sermons and doing those things. Yes, I wrote a lot. I, yes, I read a lot more books, and I don't have as much time to read as many books these days. But you know what? It doesn't keep me from growing in my faith. I listen. I listen to, to God's Word. I put my earbuds in. I listen to God's Word all day long. I listen to people preaching God's Word. I listen to people talking about how God's Word is applied. I'm constantly doing something. If I can't read, I want to be instructed. Not because I want to be a guru, not because I want to be above and over other people, but I want to be, I want God to look at my life and the way I apply his word and have him say, well done. That's what drives me. Because it's real easy for any of us to get stuck in a rut and just accept life as it is and go on our way. Ultimately, both sides are beneficial to one another, they are necessary for one another's existence as well. In Ephesians four, we're going to come back to this, but he says he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And the goal is that all of us grow together to maturity. Thirdly, this morning, thirdly is when the local church gathers. What does it look like? What is the church, when the church local church gathers, what does it look like? Now, I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and I'm going to guarantee that when we look to this, go ahead and go to A2. In all things, there must be order and peace. I can guarantee you that, and I will agree with some others on this, if you go to any local church in our community, or in your town, there's going to be most on the most part, there's going to be some order, very orderly worship. In fact, if I went to uh, such and such Baptist church or such and such Presbyterian church, there are going to be times when they stand and they sit, like a Catholic church. I, you know, it's like, I mean, it's up down kneel, like I mean, I mean, good Lord, you got to have to, make, you got to go make sure and have your doctor sign off or to make sure your heart's good enough for it. Um, but it, the reality is. There might be order and peace. And what I'm talking about today and about order and peace is not necessarily that. When we talk about order, is what God what God has defined. Okay? And all things, there must be order and peace. And let's look at our theme passage. It says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn or a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. He goes on, and says, if anybody speaks in the tongue, let there be only at least two or more, at most two, or most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and be encouraged." And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And he goes on in verse 40, he says, But all things, whatever no matter what it is, all things should be done decently and in order. Solitude, or sol- being solemn, or acting in a righteous, pious way, portraying certain, does not mean what this is talking about? In everything we do, we ought to be able to communicate what God is, what God's intention is here. Do we have to sing songs first? That's what it's all. No, you don't have to sing songs. First. Do you have to even sing songs? No, you don't have to sing songs. But when we do things, no matter what it is, it's to honor God first and foremost, right? And it should be for what? The mutual benefit, the building up of the body of Christ. If any part benefits the individual and not the body, what happens? It's self-seeking, isn't it? If it draws attention to the individual and not to Christ, it's self-seeking. It's important that even when it gets to when it talks about... uh, let. Three prophets speak, meaning those pre- those are preaching or proclaiming. And if one revelation comes to one, meaning if God's discernment comes in that moment, one of them remains quiet, and what? The other starts to speak. doesn't mean the first one can't talk again. It just means what we're talking about in that mutual edification is we come together, there ought to be order in it. And it's not to be a dominant thing. I've been in situations where I've had to apply not my authority... But I have to say what? You know, that's probably not right for the discussion here right now. Because I've had someone bring up something, cr- I mean, I'm talking about crazy or perverse, in the middle of a message. Or we had someone fall out. I had. I, I, I remember in the middle of preaching, I had someone go into an epileptic fit, which I would say was not an epileptic fit, but I would say was a manifestation of, of possession. And I just transitioned right on into into prayer. I wouldn't let that person receive that type of, of, I'm not going to allow them to have that type of attention and draw it away from Christ. We must do things in order and peace, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more next week, but we'll go. But we also, B, we must take a biblical stand regarding, you know, it's, not this, it's not that big of a deal, regarding tongues in the church. What does it mean? Y'all heard me talk about this. Well, what does it talk about? If anyone speaking in a tongue, let there be only two or most at three, and each in turn let someone interpret. But there is no one. If there's no one to interpret, let them keep quiet. Basically, what when we talk about tongues in church, and and, even, and I'll tell you, even my my buddy Bojidar and I will disagree on what this means. But I'll go back to what I know what the language says. Even if it was something else, there ought to be order. But I'll tell you what the language says. The language says in in the Greek. Is theers, it's the Greek word glosa. It means the tongue. Yes, I just did that on video. I just pointed to my tongue and I saw it. So. But, the tongue. A member of the body. An organ of speech. Tongue. The language or dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. Okay? You might say, well, what's the big... Uh, in the Strong's version of it, it says, of certain uh, uncertain affinity, the tongue... By implication, a language, specifically one naturally acquired. See, in those local gathering of the church, there were people of possible multiple nationalities. We know at Pentecost there were people, remember the Jews were gathered from all over the world, right? And they heard the message they were proclaiming in their tongue. Interesting. In their own language. Their own glossa. Now, whether the message was they were speaking in those language, or the, the miracle was they were hearing in that their language, it doesn't matter to me. The fact is, when we talk about this, if there's no one to interpret, so I, that's why I go back to it. If I'm Spanish-speaking and I come into a place and I'm trying to speak to you in Spanish and everyone in here is English-speaking, it does not benefit the congregation to have that person speak. It's hard. But if there's someone to interpret, let them interpret. That's still where I believe and where I hold. I have not been convinced otherwise yet. Therefore, if someone were speaking a native tongue and there was no one to interpret, how does that profit the, or mutually build up? That's the whole point. How does it build up the congregation? This passage cannot be speaking of a supernatural or should I should say magical spiritual language. Although if and when speaking in tongues occurs, it could be like, I say, like Acts 2. And I put that there, but we're not going to read it. We, you know what happened in Acts, they heard. See... We must take a biblical stand regarding prophets and prophecy in the church. When he says, let two or more prophets speak, what we're talking about is something really specific, and that's the word, prophetess. I know you already that. You'll get there. These are men filled with the Spirit of God, who by God's authority and command, in words of weight, pleads the cause of God, and urges salvation of men. Y'all know of the old prophets of Old Testament, correct? What would they do? They would declare God's word. God's, God's revel- they bring revelation of God's word to a people. Usually what was it? Repent or Or sometimes it wasn't even repent. It was this is this thus says the Lord. And I'm going to destroy you. I mean, it, the reality is it's there. But a prophet proclaimed the word of God. He yes, in some ways we'll see that in a moment, it's foretold. Or foretelling the future. But that's not all that it means. In Ephesians 4, you're going to have to skip ahead a little bit. Catch up with me. Ephesians 4, which you read a while ago, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for works of ministry. The word for apostles is, it's here, apostolos. Meaning, the delegate, messenger, one sent forth with orders specifically applied to the 12 apostles of Christ in a broader sense of the other eminent teachers, Barnabas, Timothy, etc. There's a word for prophesy, or pro- uh, those who prophesy, or the prophets. It's prophetuo, which means to prophesy, to speak forth by divine inspirations, foretelling future events, teach, refute, rebu- reprove, admonish, and comfort by divine inspiration and leadership. There's a word for evangelist, which is euangelistes They bring good tidings, the gospel, heralds of salvation through Christ, who were not apostles. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I I listened to a thing recently on missions by Bojanar Marinov, and he, he equates, and I think very much so, he should be equated, he equates the word evangelist with missions, a missionary and I, I think what we think of as missionaries are these group of people that go off to foreign countries and do certain things these were specific people who aren't on mission for god but they were they were they were heralds of the gospel they weren't might not have been prophets but they were had a specific office or ministry which was to go and reach out to the utter, uttermost parts so I want us to think about that in light of that. The evangelists today in Baptist circles, there's a guy, these are guys who travel the circuit and preaching in all those churches. They preach the same evangelistic crusade in all the churches they go to. It's the same messages that God gives them. It's not exactly how it should be. We're talking about going to a people who have not heard. And these are missions and, and they're not necessarily drawing all the attention. But the, anyways, these are I'll, I'll say evangelists, evangelists. Poymen, and this is not poi men. It's poimen, it Means shepherds or pastors or shepherds, herdsmen, shepherd, presiding officer, manager, manager of an assembly, or as of the overseers of the Christian assemblies, to watch for enemies, to defend, to heal wounds and sickness, to find and save the lost, to love and share their lives. A pastor's role and responsibility is to yes, give oversight, but to love, to care for. God's flock as an under shepherd of the great shepherd. Then he has the word teachers in that list, didaskalos, which means an instructor. Now, when we talk about an instructor, I, I go back this. I can go back ten plus years on this one. In the Hebrew, it says uh, bene, which means to discern or understand. These are people who discern God's word and understand. Now, I want us to always think about it. In fact, Hebrews goes on and says, About this we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he's a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I'll say this. When I get when we talk about this next week, I want to say this very clearly. God has appointed both men and women to teach. I'm going to flat out just put it there. And all you have to do is go to Titus 2 and you'll see it. But we're going to talk about that next week. Let's see, there are many today that evoke a retraction of some of these offices slash gifts particularly apostles and prophets, yet when joined to one another in this passage and by use in our theme passage, there seems to be no need of a retraction for by doing away with one, I believe you should do away with all of them. Now, I don't like saying that because there are people who believe these all should be done away with today. And that's why we're doing this sermon series. In doing so, they are not only limiting the work of God by the Holy Spirit, but they are elevating their gift-slash-office, which creates a reliance on them, their leadership and their teaching from those who are under their care. There are people who abuse these things. Rather, both 1 Corinthians 14 and Hebrews 5 allude to the fact that all should desire to prophesy and that all, all teachers, as they grow to maturity in Ephesians 4, that we are to reach not only unity and maturity, but together... To the status of fullness in Christ. There's an aspect of that we're supposed to all grow. We're all to attain maturity. Yes, all. That is descriptive. That is saying there is no divide amongst the clergy and laity. But there's still, we have to look at the distinction coming up. See, the apostolic gift, in my opinion, And I'm going to point these things out. The apostolic gift continues because 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What does he call us in this? I believe the apostolic gift continues on because he calls us ambassadors. We are people who speak on behalf of Christ that we ought to call men and women to be reconciled to God, right? That that part of calling, the gift, the gift of calling is is there. I believe the prophetic gift continues because 1 Peter two nine tells us that we are a chosen race, a royal peace to, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. That we are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Yes. Prophets prophesy under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and as His people, we are a priesthood who do so. The evangelistic or missionary gift continues. Why? Because in Matthew 28, 18-20, he gives us the Great Commission, calling us to go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey or observe all he's commanded. That gift continues. The pastoral slash shepherd gift continues because 1 Peter 5, 1-5, he says, I exhort the elders... Uh, among you as a fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge but be examples to the flock and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory likewise you who are younger be subject to the elders clothe yourself all of you with humility toward one another for god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble and you'll have to look at what he defines as what an elder is in a moment not just to be what we'll look at that next week the gift of teaching continues because from the beginning in deuteronomy 6 he told us to teach these laws these statutes to our children to bind them on our foreheads to to post them on our gates and our doorposts why so our children will not sin against God. So our, our children and uh, would would know God's word and write it upon their hearts and their lives and we are to discuss it. Ephesians 6, 4 told us, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but what? Raise them. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 10 Verses 1-6, through he tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not of full flesh, but have a divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The gift of teaching still exists from the parents all the way up, and we must teach in order that people will know how to what? Hear error, hear lie, and hear truth, speak truth, apply God's word to every aspect of life. That is our goal. And if the if you look at the, the first few apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, you get to this place, if the others are not doing their job, then the teaching is not going to happen. And yes, I can see why in Hebrews there would be people who still crave milk. But the mature, the mature are able to discern God's word, to teach God's word. 2 Corinthians 9 goes on and talks about sowing. Whatever you sow, you'll reap. And, I, and brothers and sisters, I'll say this. Whatever you sow in regards to God's word into your life, what you sow in here, Scripture tells us that out of the overflow of our heart, a mouth speaks, Right? What we sow in, what we as we read God's word, as we listen to God's word, as we uh, we look at it, what happens is out of the overflow of our heart, out of the center of who we are, out of our minds, out of comes out of our mouth what the words of God. People will glorify God because of our submission that comes from our confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of our contribution for them and for all others. And I will say this, when we look at that passage of Scripture, people will glorify God because of the submission of our confession to Him and the gospel. You know, it doesn't matter sometimes how much you know, but I will say this, when people say something, I say, well, that's not what God's word says. No, I, I love saying that because, but, but what about when God's? You don't know, say. Sometimes that's derogatory to some people. Well, I'll. You can turn it and ask. Well, what happens? What about when God's? What God's word said here? This. Sometimes people haven't thought about it. But if God's word is His word from beginning to end and there's one line through the whole thing and it's his story and not ours then what happens people have a choice to make either we are consistent or we were sinfully inconsistent at that point lastly this morning we must take a biblical stand regarding where both knowledge and authority come from and who they are distributed to this is hard This is gonna be the hard part to an extent. We must take a biblical stand regarding where both knowledge and authority come from and who they are distributed to. Once y'all get there we got we have two little scripture passages and one quote, and we're done today. In verses 36 to 40 of our theme passage, he says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. And do not forbid speaking in tongues. So there's a lot of white churches that don't like Hispanics there. (laughs) Might have a problem. But all things should be done decently and in order. I want to share something with you for someone who says that there are no there are no elders or overseers in the congregation according to 1 Corinthians it's something very specific that just got lined up with Ephesians 4 if anyone thinks that he's a prophet One of the spiritual gifts or slash offices that are very specific to the upbuilding of the congregation that's lined up as part of the requirements for an elder is listed right there. Someone thinks he's a prophet. Now, now, let me say this when we last week we talked about this, that if someone wants to be an elder or an overseer, they must desire that task. It's not something like I don't walk up to somebody and say, yo. You know, Eli, I just think he's a really wise guy. Eli, today, you're going to be, from now on, you're an elder in the church. God help us all. You know what? It's not how it works. That's why I laugh and chuckle at every Mormon missionary that they're elder so-and-so. Yeah, no. If you have to go back to someone to talk about those things, then you're probably not an elder. But I want to share with this, there's an aspect. They earnestly, all of us, ought to desire to prophesy, to proclaim God's word. But there is a specific aspect here, and we're going to get to that next week. But if someone thinks there's something special, we're not to recognize them. That's what it says. Was it from you that the word of the Lord came? Or are you the only one it has reached? If someone is to say, listen, I am the pastor, that's it. No more conversation about this. I'll have the conversation until we're blue in the face, but I will also ask questions. Because I've been in a lot of places, and I've had a lot of teachings given to me that I found to be false or not complete. And I want people to find the same truth in God's word that I've found. If someone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that 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 is being written to Paul's writing are to be the command are the command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, they're not to be recognized. So if a command is coming from anywhere but God's word, we ought not recognize that as God's. Earnestly desire to prophesy. I don't forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently in order. And in fact, where does knowledge begin? Where does it come from? Authority comes from God. Where does knowledge come from? Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. We know that if we ask of God for wisdom, what is he going to give us? He's going to give us wisdom. If you desperately want To know what God says about these things. Anything. And we search Him in prayer and in His Word. Do you think He's going to say, Nope, I'm not going to reveal it to you. I believe by His Holy Spirit He's going to reveal it because He wants us to walk into truth. He wants us to know Him in His fullness. Rustin, he said something very simple and specific, and I'm going to close with this. Under in a Systematic Theology, in Volume 2, under authority. And he said, All authority in Scripture and all obedience is from God and to God. All false doctrines seek to displace authority and obedience from God to man. With every man his own God and law, authority collapses. This is the consequence of explicit humanism. That's explicit. Implicit humanism maintains a godly facade, but makes human authority central. The greatest human authority is by virtue of his position and power all the more under God's authority than lesser men. The obedience of an Aaron and a Moses is more critical than that of an insignificant herdsman because their authority affects more people. Authority gives only godly privileges. And it gives and requires great responsibilities. Authority under God, from God, gives only godly privileges. So whether someone is a a pastor, teacher, overseer in a local gathering. It's not the authority is not based upon a hierarchy. It's based upon both a privilege that he's been given, but also with that privilege comes what? Great responsibility. Because what we what that individual preaches or teaches or does has an effect on what? Does it just affect him? It affects all that he hears. That he hears, right? And so when if someone believes that the assembly or the local assembly of, of the saints is just about hey, if whoever has the coolest next conversation or topic to talk about, that's the that's the person leading the discussion at that time. They don't understand that by having you can't do away with the responsibility for the conversation is being happening we are judged according to scripture we're judged by every word and deed that we utter and so when someone begets error when someone preaches and teaches error they have a greater responsibility and greater consequence under under God I'm not going to answer a question that wants to be answered yet I'm going to answer it next week but I will say this I, I have a lot for next week But if we're going to look at the clergy, laity divide, as there's no divide, but there is a distinction, it's important for us to know what that means. This little quote launches us off into that distinction. Now, if an elder, if someone wants to set himself on being an overseer in the church, he desires a noble task, is what Scripture says. But he must be. And it gives a list of descriptions. Because the response is authority given by God goes up. And that authority, by the way, how, do, how does that individual get that authority? It's from God. But it also must be... It, it's earned in the eyes of people, what? From their service. That means there's going to be, there's there's always going to be that, but it's by their service that people recognize that. I go back to that quote by Bozier at the beginning: submission comes from service, not just because of a position. And the person doesn't even get to an office or a position, if you want to say, unless they have these characteristics based upon it. It's 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 interesting how it all comes together. We'll talk about that and how abuses from both ditches happen next week. Thank you for listening to Setting the Record Straight. Join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.